Well, let's begin this morning by reading our text for today, which is Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12 this morning. Matthew 16, verses 1 to 12. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we have brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. <clears throat> Our text this morning is in some ways two separate texts, and, and yet they're tied together by the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verses 1 to 4 focus on the request for a sign. Verses 5 to 12 are centered around Jesus' warning about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16 and verse 6, look at it again there. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then again in verse 11, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, we're in this section, Matthew 13 to 17, and this section has been showing us various responses to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen rejection and hostility. We've seen great faith. We've seen little faith. The disciples are kind of in this period. They're growing in their understanding of who Jesus is, but they haven't yet arrived at, at what we're going to see next time we're in Matthew, which is in verse 15 and 16. Jesus said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But in our text today, the disciples still haven't arrived at that level of understanding and they're confused and their little faith has, has them worried about bread and, and really so worried about bread that they can't even grasp what Jesus is talking about. Well, these verses are, are here for at least two reasons this morning. We, we have to ask ourselves of, of really of all the things that Jesus or that Matthew could have included 
about the Lord Jesus, why did he include this? And if we can answer that question, then we're, we're well on our way to understanding how a text like this applies to ourselves. And I think one of the main reasons that this is here, one of the main reasons that Matthew chose this particular text is for us to see the ongoing rejection of Christ. And a huge question that Matthew's readers would have had would, would be something like this. If, if Jesus is really the Messiah, then why did Israel, his own nation, not recognize him? And so what Matthew is doing is he's, he's kind of leading us to the cross. He's preparing us for the cross. And, and this story just once again shows us the stubborn rejection of the religious leaders of their Messiah. And so they ask the Lord, and, and you gotta kinda set this in the, in the right setting here. They ask the Lord who, who practically eradicated sickness from Galilee, the one who made the blind to see, the one who made the lame to walk, they ask him for a sign. And the reason for this request I think is important for us to see in verse one. They ask him for this sign to test him. And so they ask him for a sign from heaven. And so this is a test. Now, the last time that we saw this word, the same word translated test in Matthew was in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted or to be tested by the devil. The same Greek word is used for both kinds of tests and for temptations. Now, another reason I think Matthew um, has this text is that he wants us to see the slow growth of the disciples' understanding. You see, they were, they were even after, at this point, they're still worried about bread and they're focused on earthly things. And they should have been more concerned about what? They should have been more concerned at this point about with the teaching of the, the religious leaders. Now, one of Matthew's big concerns throughout this gospel is teaching. And he keeps going back and forth, you remember, between uh, teaching, what we've been calling the five discourses that, that Matthew focuses on, and narrative. And so we're going narrative, teaching, narrative, teaching. Matthew's very focused on teaching. And Jesus here warns his disciples about the dangers of false teaching. The teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's something to beware of. It's something to watch out for, and Matthew wants us to kind of, to be, to be aware of these things. Now, we don't have Pharisees or Sadducees to be aware of, but we, there are false teachers who reject Christ, and there's false teaching, which is something that, that needs to be watched out for in every generation. And so there's definitely something here for us in this text today. There's something really every week as we study the Word of God together. But that's that's what we're going to see this morning as we look at this. And we're going to look at it under really under four very simple headings this morning. The first one is we're going to just see the, the request for a sign in verses 1 to 4. The request for a sign. Remember, Jesus had withdrawn to the Tyre and Sidon area, and uh, he had now returned to Decapolis. That's where he fed the 4,000. And then he went to Magadon, which we don't really know exactly where that is, but it seems to be on this, the, the Galilee side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is now back somewhere in the Galilee area, somewhere in his hometown area near Capernaum. And whenever Jesus has been in Galilee, at least in the, the, the more recent sections of Matthew, he's been confronted by the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees have been Jesus' number one enemy really since chapter 9 when they asked the disciples why Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Now Pharisees, they were religious hypocrites. And they strove to keep the external details of the law, but they ignored the thoughts and intentions of the heart. They really ignored the heart. And so they kept the law externally, but they didn't keep it internally. And Jesus has said about them that they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. Last week in Luke chapter 16, we saw that the Pharisees, that they scoffed when Jesus taught them to lay up treasure in heaven. Remember 16, 14 of Luke, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And so we've met the Pharisees before, but look at verse 1. We've got a different group with the Pharisees this time. Verse 1, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came. This is one of the only times that we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees together. The Sadducees, they're they're quite different than than the Pharisees. They're they're not as strict as the Pharisees. They're not um, very, they're they're not as worried about keeping the law. They were anti-supernaturalists. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe that there'd be a resurrection. They only accepted the five books of Moses as scripture, and so they ignored the writings and the prophets. The Pharisees would have thought of the Sadducees as, as compromisers because they worked with the Roman authorities. They were more political than they were religious. And so the Sadducees are this kind of religious group that, that the Pharisees would have thought were compromisers, and they didn't fully trust Scripture. But here we have these two different groups, and they've come together, look at the text again, in order to test Jesus, to test Him, they asked Him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, it's likely that these two groups were, were something of an official delegation sent to test Jesus. And a, a group like this might have even been the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were 70 priestly elders who oversaw the temple and also oversaw certain civil kind of matters in Israel. And the high priest was the head of this group, and it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. So it's, it's possible that this is some kind of a delegation from the Sanhedrin made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, and, and they have come together in order to test Jesus and to test his claim that whether he's the Messiah or not. And so whatever this group is, I think this, the old adage applies here, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so the thing that really bound these two groups together, these really separate groups, is that Jesus was their enemy. And so they're not friends except here when they team up to test the Lord Jesus. And, and they had done this exact thing earlier in a very similar situation with John. And so you might remember when um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is Matthew chapter 3, when they had come to test John in a similar way. Matthew 3 and verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, to John the Baptist. Verse 6. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so John the Baptist immediately rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees, really just for showing up at his baptism. And and I think that's really something. Just the, the minute this group shows up, he just goes into, you brood of vipers. Well, now this same group, this similar group anyways, they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus for a sign. And they want a specific sign. They want a sign from heaven. They want a sign from heaven. Now, apparently there was a superstitious belief at the time that demons could perform signs on earth, but only God could perform a sign from heaven. But notice again the, the reason for the request. They are testing Jesus, and I think it's, it's meant to be in very much the same way as the devil tested or tempted Jesus in chapter 4. And I think the, the design here is, that, is to show that Jesus can't do it. But even if he did do it, we, we know that they would refuse that too. In chapter 12, Jesus, remember, cast out demons, and they just said that he did it by the power of demons. And so if he gave them a sign from heaven, they would have made an excuse not to believe that as well. And that really reminds us of the, the passage that we looked at last week, doesn't it? When um, Jesus said through Abraham in that parable, Luke 16, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In other words, a sign is never enough. A sign is never enough to convince somebody to come out of their unbelief. The only thing that is sufficient is the word of God. And in our natural state, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1, 18, and we deny the abundant evidence that we have and we, we, and that we get or sorry, we get, we get around any evidence that, that comes our way. And so in our natural state, our, our natural inclination is to deny the truth, to suppress the truth. And if we do see a sign or we do see some kind of more evidence from God, we just find new ways to get around that and continue in our sin. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees, they come to test Jesus and they ask for a sign when, when in reality they've already been given more than enough signs and they've been given signs that are according to the word of God. Now Jesus answers their request with a, a statement about the weather in verses 2 and 3. Now those verses, verses 2 and 3, they don't appear in the earliest manuscripts that we have. But those manuscripts, they're also from Alexandria, Egypt, where the signs of a red sky would function a bit differently. Now, we do have older manuscripts from other parts of the world that do have these verses. And so one of the things that we wonder as we kind of look at these manuscripts is whether scribes in Egypt removed these verses to kind of make the scripture better fit with the weather that was in that place. And it's difficult to be really dogmatic about something like this, but, but the verses are here in our Bibles, and I, I think it's more than likely that they do belong in this situation. But if we didn't have these verses, we would just skip immediately to verse 4, and Jesus' Jesus's answer to them would be simply verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and no sign will be given to it 
except the sign of Jonah. And so he left them and departed. Now, verse 4 reminds us of, uh, we'll come back to verses 2 and 3 in a minute, but verse 4 really reminds us of a previous time that that Jesus was asked for a sign. And so just go back to uh, Matthew 12 for a second. Matthew 12, 38. This time it's scribes and Pharisees answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now the sign of Jonah was was that G, what Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. And remember Jonah's prayer. This is Jonah 1.17 to chapter 2, verse 2. It says here, it says there, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then chapter two says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. And so Jonah prayed from the, from Sheol, from the, the belly of the fish. Sheol is the grave. And in an even more literal sense, Jesus, this sign that he's going to give these people is that he is going to be in the grave for three days and three nights. And then he's going to come out of there. And so Jonah was metaphorically in Sheol, unless you actually think Jonah died. He was, he was metaphorically in Sheol when he was in the belly of the fish. But Jesus is actually going to die and then rise again. And that's the only sign that he's going to give that generation. And so the resurrection is the sign of Jonah. And Jesus says, if you want a sign beyond all the miracles that I've been doing, the resurrection, that's all that you're going to get. Now, I think that really fits with what we saw last week as well. Remember last week when the rich man said, if someone would go to his brothers from the dead, the rich man said that they would repent. And again, we saw that, that the word of God was more effective. Again, Jesus said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And last week we went over to John chapter 11. And we saw that when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees, they couldn't deny the real, the reality of Lazarus's resurrection. And so in order to get around it, they tried to kill Lazarus so that he would die another time. Now we'll see that when the, these Pharisees hear about Jesus' resurrection, when, when the Pharisees actually receive this sign that Jesus promises them, they're not going to accept that sign either. They're not going to accept the sign of Jonah. And so go over and jump over to Matthew 
chapter 28, and let's look at verses 11 to 15. Matthew 28, 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place about the resurrection. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And so the Pharisees and the the elders of the people, they bribed the guards who had seen the angel that rolled away the stone from Jesus' tomb and they asked them to lie with a bribe And again, this shows that it's not the evidence or the lack of evidence. It's the sinful heart of man that loves sin and doesn't want to repent. That's the problem. And that's what keeps people from God. And so Jesus told them that it was evil to seek a sign. He said he, he called them an evil and adulterous generation. The idea is that they've departed from God and they are committing a spiritual adultery in their departing from the God that they committed to. And so he wouldn't give them a sign except his future resurrection, but he told them they were an evil generation. But he also told them this this common knowledge in in regards to interpreting the weather. And so let's go back to verse 2. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. The signs of the times. And so what Jesus lays out here is is really similar to a common saying in English. Maybe you've heard it. It goes, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning, or sometimes they'll put in their shepherds. If you're a shepherd, red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Now, there's a scientific reason that, that it works this way, um, and, and I didn't learn too much about this, but a red sky when the sun is on the horizon means that there's clouds present, and, and so depending on the weather, whether it's in the morning or whether this red sky is in the evening, and depending on which way that you would typically get your weather from, the, the red sky can indicate either good or bad weather that clouds are on the horizon. And the point is of, of this whole thing is that the people knew how to read the signs of the sky. And, and the, the same word for sky is also the, the word for the heavens. And so they were able to, to physically predict the weather based on the heavens and when they saw the red sky in the morning or in the evening, but they, and they, they really didn't need at that point any other sign. If they saw the red sky in the morning, they knew it was going to be a good day. If they saw it at night, it was going to be a bad day. Which I just got it backwards there. But anyways, you, you get the idea. Everything that, that Jesus has done so far was a sign of the times, but these people were unable. They, they cannot, the text says, they cannot, Jesus says, Interpret the signs of the times. And so again, 
He called them an evil and adulterous generation. It was evil for them to seek these signs and really to, to seek to get around the signs that they'd already been given. And so the end of verse 4 says, So he left them and departed. He left them. He, the idea there is he forsook them. And there's a, a finality to this word. It's a very strong word. He left them. And also he departed, which means that he left that place. He, he physically left that place and went somewhere else. And so I think the idea here is that, that Jesus is done with the Pharisees from this point onwards. He left them and he actually physically left. He went somewhere else. Now let me just say in regards to applying this, that it's dangerous at any time to reject Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes people think, well, I'll repent another day. I'll, I'll believe another day. I'll bow the knee to Christ and follow him another day. And, and this kind of thinking is dangerous thinking. The Pharisees, they refused Christ. They tested him. They would not believe. And now Jesus has left them. He has left them. And they're not going to really see him again until they crucify him in Jerusalem, except for kind of one more brief visit on the way to Jerusalem. And I think there's a parallel spiritually here for us, that if you continue to put off repentance and to ignore the proddings of the Holy Spirit, it could be that the Lord will leave you and allow you to be hardened in your sin. You know, sometimes people get this strange idea that that they're just going to enjoy their sin now and that they'll come to Christ later. They'll come to Christ on their deathbed. And it's possible to be granted repentance and salvation in a moment, but it's also possible in a moment like that, that to come to the end of your life and to find that your heart is still hard and that repenting after a life of rejecting Christ is not easy. And so I think there's a warning here for us that the Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And Hebrews 3, 7 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you harden, or sorry, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so I think there's a warning here for us about rejecting Christ or putting it off to another day. It's never a safe thing to do. If Christ is calling you, if you know the gospel, then you should repent now and come to Christ. And so that was the request for a sign. Let's look number two now. There's this warning about leaven, verses 5 and 6, the warning about leaven, verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so Jesus and the disciples, they leave the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they're just kind of going back and forth here. And perhaps they left with some haste. We don't really know. Perhaps they were careless or perhaps they're still kind of operating on the, the Matthew 10 principle of relying on the hospitality of others. But, but for whatever reason, they forgot and they didn't bring any bread. They forgot the bread. Verse Mark, four, uh, Mark 8, 14 says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And so they got one loaf of bread for 12 disciples and the Lord Jesus. And even as they're, they're just realizing this, Jesus at that moment warns them about leaven. He says again in verse 6, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now we'll see in verses 11 to 12 that Jesus isn't literally talking about bread or about leaven. 
He's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now we'll talk about teaching when we come back to verses 11 and 12, and we'll, we'll talk about the confusion and misunderstanding of the disciples in verses 7 to 10. So here, all we want to do really under this point is just to catch these two words that surround this whole section, this watch and beware. Beware is used by itself at the end of the section. It's used again in verse 11. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it's used again in verse 12. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so watch and beware. Now this word watch here has the idea of being alert. Pay attention. See to it that something happens or see to it that something doesn't happen. And here the sense is to look out for this leaven. Now the word is used in a very similar construction in Luke 12 and verse 15. Jesus said to them, take care, same word, watch out and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so take care, watch out for covetousness. In our text, watch out for this teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the next word in our text is to beware. So watch and beware. And it's a very similar word. It means to be in a state of alert, to be concerned about something, to care for or take care of something. And again, here we're to to beware of something. We're to beware of this Leaven. And so these are important words to kind of keep in mind when we get to verses 12, uh, 11 and 12. But the disciples, they, at this point, they don't understand what Jesus is telling them to watch out for or what to beware of. And so we call this number three, the misunderstanding of unbelief. The misunderstanding of, ver- of unbelief, verses 7 to 11a, the first part of verse 11. Now, the reason they don't understand is because they don't believe. And their unbelief and their worldly focus causes them to miss the Lord's meaning. And so they began, verse 7, discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. And so they began to debate amongst themselves. That's what that word means, discussing it. There's a, a, a debate, a discussion going on. And they're either saying here, it's because we have no bread, or they're saying we have no bread. But either way, we, we translate this, they think that, that Jesus says leaven and that he means bread. And I think they're so worried about the bread situation that they, they can't even really hear or think about what Jesus is saying. And so they're so consumed with the earthly affairs that they can't even think beyond the lack of bread at this point. You know, you kind of ask yourselves, like, what are they thinking? Do they think that Jesus means don't buy bread from the Pharisees and Sadducees? Like, that they have some bad leaven going around amongst the the Pharisees and Sadducees? And of course, Pharisees and Sadducees aren't bread salesmen, right? This, This is not; Those aren't the people you go to to buy bread. Or maybe they're just afraid that the Lord is upset about the, about, at them for forgetting the bread and, 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 and he's telling them in some kind of weird veil way that, that I'm upset about this thing. But it really makes no sense for them to, to start discussing the lack of bread. 
But it must be just coming from their doubts and their anxiety. And so the Lord takes the opportunity to address this first. You know, he, he could have just said, no, 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 you got, I'm not talking about bread. He could have just said that, but instead he addresses them for their worry first. And so in verse eight, Jesus aware of this said, Oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? And so the Lord asks a great question here. Why? Why? Why, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And, and I think this why is a great question to ask ourselves when we're worried or distracted or anxious. In a situation like that, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is just ask yourself why. Why are you thinking about that? Why are you talking about that? Why are you doing that, oh you of little faith? And the answer to those questions will always point back to a lack of faith where one exists. Why am I thinking about that? Because I'm not trusting God. Why am I talking about that? Because I'm not believing God. Why am I doing that thing? Because I'm not leaning on the Lord. Because I'm trying to handle life by myself without remembering that God is my help and that God is with me. They did not perceive what he was saying because they did not remember the promises of God or his work in the past. They didn't remember the way that the Lord had multiplied bread and feeding the 5,000 and multiplied bread and feeding the 4,000. And so he asked them another question. Verse 11, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? How did they fail to understand? And I think if they answer that question... The reason that they failed is just simply unbelief. The disciples were worried and distracted with worldly things, and they weren't able to get beyond what they feared. Now, we can easily look down on them, I think, for not understanding, but, but you know, the question that we really need to ask ourselves is, how is your faith? How is my faith right now? And I think it'd be helpful, even at this point, to go back to Matthew 6 and remind ourselves of a great promise that the Lord gives us in in this regard, Matthew 6 and verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we wear or what shall we drink or what shall we What shall we wear? I must have read that wrong. Therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so we have this great promise here that if we seek the kingdom of God and if we seek his righteousness, God and Jesus promise to provide food and drink and clothing. 
And we're not to be concerned, we're not to be worried, we're not to be anxious about such things. We're to trust God to clothe us, to feed us, to care for us and for our needs as we live for Him and for His glory. And so again, we just ask ourselves, how is your faith in that area? Are you trusting God in, in, the, in this sphere? Are you seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness? And so that was the misunderstanding of unbelief. Let's look now the warning about false teaching, which I think really is the main point of, of this section, especially the, the last few verses from verse 5 onwards. The warning about false teaching, the last part of verse 11 and verse 12. Jesus has told them that he's not speaking about bread, that he is not concerned about the bread situation. They might be concerned, but he is not concerned. But at the end of verse 11, he doesn't say anything different to them. Look at what he says. He says it in the metaphor again, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we've talked about leaven before. It was something like today's sourdough starter. It was a piece of fermenting bread that was saved from yesterday's baking. And this piece of bread was added to the fresh ingredients and kneaded into one lump. And then over some period of time, a fermenting process happened that would cause the bread to rise and you'd get your your fluffier bread that, that, that we like. Now, this little piece of leavened bread would leaven the whole lump of dough. It would spread through the entire recipe over time. And because leaven was to be removed once a year at Passover, it was also often viewed as something negative. Even though Israel used it day to day in their baking, but once a year it was it was swept away and and the house was cleaned of leaven. And so it's often viewed, not always, but often viewed in Scripture as something negative, a negative influence. And Jesus uses it that way here. He's speaking about it in, in terms of a negative influence that, that's, that's going to spread. And by framing it this way, again, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, verse 11. Jesus is training his disciples to teach deeply, uh, to, to think deeply about his teaching. He's training them to think deeply. So think about the leaven. Think about what I'm saying. And they did just that. Verse 12 tells us that then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven here represents teaching and and specifically the teaching of both of these groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the common teaching that, that both of them shared was their view that Jesus was not the Messiah. You see, they had a false view of Christ. And perhaps Jesus felt the need to warn them of the danger of this false influence of of requiring signs and requiring proofs. But it's just a general warning here. Watch out. Beware of teaching. Beware of who is teaching you and beware of what you are learning. Now, this would have been especially important for Matthew's original readers because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would have still been around at that time and they would have needed, the original readers of Matthew would have needed Jesus' warning. Watch out for the bad influence of their doctrine, of their teaching. Now, doctrine is just simply teaching. Doctrine is, is what is taught. And this is important for us too. This is something that, that we need to understand and grasp as well. We don't have Pharisees and Sadducees to be aware of, but there are false teachers who teach a false Christ. 
And there are, are false prophets who preach a false gospel. Matthew already warned us in, in Jesus' words, Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, when we think about this warning to beware the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I think it's helpful for us to recognize that the Pharisees would have had good theology in some areas and in some ways. You know, they would have had an orthodox doctrine of God, for example. Their doctrine of Scripture was right. They believed it was God's Word. They accepted all of the same books of the Old Testament that we do, unlike the Sadducees. And so one thing we have to recognize is that false teachers aren't going to have everything wrong all the time. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, he said, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. And so what we need to draw from our text is that the Lord is warning us here we need to watch out for false teachers and we need to watch out for false teaching. We need to beware and and be aware, be on the lookout, be alert about these things. And and so the question for us then is how seriously do you heed Jesus' warning here? Are you watching out for and paying attention to who is influencing you and how? You know, is, is that even a concern for you? Jesus says that it should be. You know, you've heard about the way that, that they train money experts to recognize counterfeit money. You know, they don't train them so much to know the, the differences of the various counterfeits as they train them to know the features of the real currency. And if you can recognize the the true, then you'll know when it's not it. And I think that's also important for us as well to kind of think about it that way. It's 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 important for us to to know the truth in order to recognize what is false or what is astray or what is not according to the word of God. We need to learn to see if what we are being taught is the teaching of scripture. I love how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. It just says, To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. And so Isaiah is saying there, let's go to the Scriptures. And if it isn't from there, then these so-called teachers have no light. Again, to the teaching and to the testimony. Let's go to the Word of God and let's see if what is being taught is according to God's Word. Now, God has given us teachers in order to teach us, and, and we need teachers. Otherwise, we'll just become our own false teachers. We, we won't be taught at all. And that's not the answer either. That's not what the Lord's getting at here. But we need to learn to be watchful and to be discerning. And we need to be careful about who's influencing us and, and really from two sides. You know, on the one hand, we need to consider and watch out for false teaching or for heretical teaching. And that's what the Pharisees represent here, false and heretical teaching. Sometimes I'll define a cult as a, a group that has one or more of these wrong views, if you have a wrong view of the Savior, 
If you have a wrong view of scripture or if you have a wrong view of salvation or all three, those are, those are how we define a cult group. And so if you have a wrong view of the Savior, that would include God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or if you have a, a wrong view of, of Scripture and you accept other books besides the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, that's a, a wrong view of Scripture that cults like the Mormons have or whatever. Or if you have a wrong view of salvation like the Catholics do or, or other cult groups do that's not by grace through faith alone in Christ. Those are heretical teachings and, and we need to watch out for those and be careful of those. But on the other hand, we also need to consider as well Are my teachers influencing me for good? You see, if you aren't learning and growing, what's really happening? You know, you're you're wasting your time, you're wasting your opportunity, you're wasting your, your Sundays and your Wednesday night Bible study times or whatever it is. And so if we aren't being influenced for good, then we're missing out on what should be happening, even if it's not outright false teaching. And so I hope that makes sense. And, and, and you just kind of begin to recognize the importance of being taught according to God's word. Jesus says, watch out and beware of the Pharisees, the teaching, the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Very important for us. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you again this morning. We thank you for this passage of scripture that we're able to look at. We pray, Father, that you would help us with our little faith, that you would teach us to trust you in greater ways. We pray for anyone who's here today who's not saved and maybe who's putting off repentance, that that you would just show them that they have all the evidence they need in your supernatural word, in the word of God, and that you would bring them to repentance. And we just pray for ourselves, Father, as a as a local church, that we would be a church that teaches your truth, that stands on the word of God, that that equips the saints for the work of ministry according to your word. We pray that we'd be a church that that sanctifies ourselves by your word, that we'd be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth, Father. And we pray that you would protect us as your people. And we thank you that you do, Father, that you guard us as our Father from false teaching and from false teachers. We thank you that we can recognize them even by their fruits. And so we thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.